All right, let's get our Bibles and turn to Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. Ecclesiastes chapter number 4. I want to speak tonight on tips for being a team player. So now you can understand why that would work together for a, a, a devotional for the staff. And staff, by the way, this is, I only gave you about two-thirds of what I have. I only had about two-thirds of the time. I had a little extra time tonight. So uh, tips for being a team player. And this applies to many aspects of our lives. Um, if you are, uh, you know, we're in a church. We should be working as a team. If you're involved with ministries, hopefully you're going as a team, whether it's a Sunday school class, a junior church class, a bus ministry, or a nursing home ministry. There's different people on the team. The ministry team should be working together. A family should be working together as a team. When they're not, it's not going to go well in the home. Um, and obviously a staff would, would be uh, very important for us to work as a team. So uh, Ecclesiastes chapter number 4, verse number 9, will begin. It says, two are better than one because they have a good reward for their labor. For if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another to help him up. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together, Lord, and opportunity to bring forth your word. We pray that it would be a help to our church, to our ministries, to our families. And Lord, that we would work together, love one another, and help one another. And Lord, if we could get this idea down, our church, our families, our ministries, our outreach, everything would go so much more smoothly. Just pray, Lord, you'd help us to realize where we're deficient, be willing to set aside our pride, humble ourselves where, where needed, because sometimes that's what is needed, and it's difficult to do. And I just pray you'd help us through this. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, it takes at least two people to make a team. According to our text, a team is better than an individual, because teammates can uh, uh, help and they provide a better possibility of, of gaining a reward, right? They, they get more work done. You think of a team of horses. They can, they can pull a, a carriage better. You've got a team of oxen. They could plow better. A, a team of sled dogs. You get the idea. And even a marriage is a team effort. I've got to be doing my part. My wife's got to be doing her part. When we are, it goes really well, and it's fun. And when one of us isn't pulling our load and not fulfilling our responsibilities, then it gets a little tough, a little bit of friction, right? You ever been there? Someone's not pulling their weight and you're upset that they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing because obviously you're doing what you're doing, supposed to be doing and they're not, so they're the problem and there becomes the problem when we start focusing on everybody else's problem and it's a great reminder, though, for us that we need other people to succeed in life. Two are better than one, right? And so sports, I'm not preaching about sports, but sports, I'm going to use some illustrations here. And don't worry, I'm going to use Bible, too. So you're going to get something from the Word of God. But sports can give us a lot of insight into how a team works. Like I said before, we can apply these things 
in our church, in our ministries, in our, in our homes. So I want to consider some ideas and then look at, and I'll use some sports terminology for you who don't know sports. I'll try to explain some things here or there. If not, ask someone who does, okay? Uh, but then I want to look at some Bible passages that will help us to be able to work together. So let me give you uh, quickly, we'll try to move through these. Uh, number one, I've got several. Number one is this. Stay focused on the goal. If you want to be a good team player, you've got to stay focused on the goal. Now, why do teams play? To win. I don't understand people who play games and these things and say, well, I'm just enjoying it. I don't enjoy it. I enjoy the thrill of it, but it culminates when I get the W, right? And when I don't get the W, I'm already thinking of next time. It's, that's, what, that's what I'm living for, next time. I didn't enjoy losing. And if you do, well, we'll keep moving on from there. <laughs> and uh, the Bible talks a little bit about this. It says in 1 Corinthians 9, 24, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. Hold on. So run that ye may obtain. God says if you're going to get in this thing, in this race, Run so that you can win. So it's actually biblical to try at least to win. I, who goes out to try to lose? Anyway, we have an opponent in this thing called the Christian life, and that's the devil. He wants to defeat our church. He wants to ruin our ministries. He wants to destroy our homes. And if we work together as a team, two are better than one, then we're going to uh, be more victorious and have a better chance in, in defeating the works of the devil here. So we need to put our energy then into defeating the enemy, not battling among our teammates. If you're battling at home, that you, you, you've got it focus, focused in the wrong place. If you're battling with other church members or other people in the ministry, college students with your roommates, right? We're, we're, we're focusing on the wrong spot. If anybody has a, a problem... We have to understand why they have the problem, because they've given into the world, the flesh, and the devil. And so the real enemy is not them, it's the, the wrong influences that are affecting them. And so we need to be able to work with them and help them and love them and try to bring them along. Now, we're to work together to further Christ's kingdom, not to make a name for ourselves. That's the idea of being on a team. It's not all about me. It's not all about you. It's not supposed to be. On God's team, our mission is to win, yes, but it's done through serving. We serve the lost uh, by reaching them with the gospel. Uh, teachers and Sunday school ca uh, teachers serve their students in the classrooms by teaching them and discipling them. We serve our fellow members by praying for one another, helping one another, lifting them up when they're discouraged, being patient with one another, and not siding against one another. Hey, did you hear what she said? Did you know what she, he did? All right, so first of all, we need to stay focused on the goal, and that is to fight the enemy, not ourselves, amongst ourselves, and to win. Win by serving the Lord and others. Number two, play your position. You want to be a good team player? Play your position. On a team, everyone has a different position. When uh, people neglect their task, then someone else has to take up the slack, don't they? Can you imagine um, <laughs> on a football team if none of the wide receivers or tight ends showed up? 
There'd be no one to pass the ball to. Or how about if there was no offensive line? Who's going to hike the ball? And if someone does decide to hike the ball, the quarterback's going to be sacked within, you know, point, you know, one second. It's, it's all done over. Everyone has to show up. Everyone has to do their job. Speaking about everyone showing up, let me just use an example in the local church here, our local church. During the summer, I'll give you a little story. A young guy asked a couple of us older guys, you know, us older guys in our 50s, uh, to help him lift something heavy. Now, wait a minute. Isn't that a little backwards? Shouldn't it be the old guys asking the young guys to help us lift something heavy? So what was the problem? The problem was there weren't many young guys there to ask help from. So they had to go and ask us old guys. Okay? Uh, When young men in their 20s don't show up to work party, the guys in their 40s, 50s, 60s, and yes, 70s have to do the work. The old guys aren't going to be around forever. Is it your church? Play your position. All right, I'm done meddling. Let's get back to it. All right, let's all work at playing our position. That's just an example, but we need to do something, don't we? So here's a couple things to keep in mind when playing our position. First of all, submit to those over you. Okay, It's human nature. Not, uh, to, to, it, is, it is human nature to criticize decisions of people in authority over us, isn't it? Especially if they make a mistake. Or especially if we have more experience than them in some area. And by the way, that happens, isn't it? Sometimes there are people with more experience uh, that are not in charge. And you might see something. You know, it's better to put our energy into lifting up our leaders' hands and help them. You know, Aaron and her lifted up Moses' hands because they were team players. And that's what we need to do. We need to remember who put our leaders in authority. Uh, Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Romans 13.1. Now, is leadership always right? No. And if we have legitimate concerns, we can, and sometimes we should, approach our leaders, but do so in a spirit of humility and discuss the situation. Right? Being in submission doesn't mean being in silence all the time, but it does mean that they have the right attitude. Let me put it this way in the home. Right? So if I'm going to make some really stupid decision, and my wife can foresee that I'm about to make a stupid decision, and she keeps her mouth shut, that doesn't help us. Now, I don't want her to come and say, do you know what? You are an idiot if you do this. No, because that's not the spirit of humility. But if she says, honey, have you considered this? I'm like, oh, I have not. Thank you for pointing that out. You see how it can work? It can work that way in the home. It can work that way in the church. It can work that way in the ministries. But we we have to come with the right attitude. And we need to submit to those who are over us. We play our position, don't we? 
Here's, the, here's this one. Uh, if you're in, in any kind of leadership, whether you're a head Sunday school teacher, bus captain, a deacon, whatever, a teacher, someone on staff, here's the second idea. Serve those who are under you. So submit to those um, who are over you and, su- and serve those who are under you. So a team captain okay, is supposed to inspire others by being a good example. He encourages his teammates, both on and off the field. In church, outside of church. In the office, outside the office. In the ministries, having fellowship on a Sunday night, after church sometime, when it's not part of your ministry time. (coughs) Like him or or not, I'm not here to debate whether you like him or not, but Tom Brady was known for helping teammates who struggled in their personal lives. And he even had guys move in with him to try to help them overcome some some of their problems. He was trying to be a leader on and off the field. And leaders are concerned with people who are under them. And the Bible says in Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28, but whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. That's a servant. Whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And so we who have any authority, if it's the parents, show concern and help the children. And and, and husbands, again, be considerate of the the needs of your wife. Ministry leaders, look to the well-being of the people you're trying to reach in your ministry and of your workers. Don't just complain about you. These workers are good for nothing. Whatever, whatever. Help them. Work with them. You're on a team. Work together. And so submit to those over you. Serve those under you. And strengthen those beside you. You know, we're all kind of like uh, co-equals. <laughs> really. Uh, we shouldn't be splintered groups. Everyone thinking, you know, you do your job. I'll do mine. You leave me alone. I'll leave you alone. That's how it works. That's not how it works. That's how many homes try to function, but they're dysfunctional homes. And that's how, uh, uh, if a church is that way, all little cliques and divisions and splinter groups, you know, didn't Paul warn about that? And yet, well, you know, I sit on, on this side of the church because he's over there. Or she sits over here, so I'm on that side. No. <laughs> if I don't have to talk to him, I won't. So, wrong idea. Uh, we need one another. The Bible says that in Romans 12:4, we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. We don't have the same function. We're part of a team. Now, it says in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly joined together... Okay, the whole body is supposed to be joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. So every joint, every part of the church is supposed to be supplying something to the others, not working independently. The body is the church. It should edify. It should build up itself. And that's what the rest of that verse says, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. Each member... Building up one another. Let's apply that to the home. Each member of the family building up one another instead of tearing one another down. You're a jerk. You're an idiot. 
you're a dummy. I remember one, <laughs> there was a marriage counseling one time, and, you know, one was saying, I wish I had never married you. Well, that goes along, that, that's going to go real well. And so we're part of a team. Everyone should be working together. Look for ways to be a blessing to those who are on your team. Everyone on your team. Everyone in your family. Everyone in your ministry. Everyone in your church. Not accept that one. No, everyone. A kind word. A compliment. Those are hard to give out, aren't they? They're free. But we can't give them out, can we? A note of encouragement. A text message. Hey, praying for you. A little treat. Something to let someone know that you care. All of that goes a long way. Let me give you number three. Number two was the longest one because it had sub points. We're going to cruise now. Number three. If someone drops the ball, here's another tip for being a... A good team player. If someone drops the ball, pick it up. Okay? Can I tell you, on your team, someone's going to drop the ball. Someone in the family's going to drop the ball. Someone on the staff's going to drop the ball. Someone in your church is going to drop the ball. Someone in the, in the bus ministry is going to forget the verse tokens. And you can crucify them, or you can go make some. So in baseball, sometimes... You know, that ball's hit, it's a high fly, and you got two defenders rushing to get to it. And most of the time, they're calling it out, and one will let the other get it. And so one calls it out, he goes to get it, and he drops the ball. And in the process, he ends up in a heap on the ground. And the ball starts rolling to the other guy. What does he do? He ignores the ball, turns to his teammate who's laying on the ground, and says, you idiot, you called it, you should have caught it. Is that what he does? Absolutely not. What does he do? He picks up the ball and throws it. There's no time for an argument. He's getting the ball and he's throwing it to the infield because they're working as a team. Sometimes people are going to drop the ball. And when they do, pick it up. Have you ever dropped the ball? And when you, when you do, you want everyone to let you know and remind you of it, don't you? And I don't. I want people to pick up the ball. <laughs> and so we need to keep moving. We all drop the ball. And if someone fails to do something that they're supposed to do, someone messes things up, we jump in and we lend a hand. And too often, we, we, it's easy to criticize them or to blame them. They didn't do their job in the home in the church, or whatever it is, right? And what makes things worse is when we take it a step further, not just blaming them, but then we start gossiping about it to someone else. <laughs> she really messed up that project. Man, he did it, but yeah, he did it all right. He did it the wrong way. Well, were you there to help him otherwise? These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. And on that list is he that soweth discord among brethren. Wouldn't it be a little better to show some grace? We could bite our tongue and offer to lend a hand, right? 
just like we'd want someone to do for us. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 10, it says, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Especially. You know who we should be the, the, especially kind to and helpful to? One another. The people on our team. The people in your family. And sometimes the people in the family, you drop the guard with them the most, right? It's easy to let them have it. Why? They're on your team. Oh, I think sometimes we're not good team players, are we? Number four, don't be a ball hog. Has, have any of you ever been in the gym during volleyball marathon? If you, you know, if those who laughed, you have, okay? How is it that this guy, no matter what position he plays, whether he's on the front row whether he's on the back row, in the middle wherever he is, it seems like every play he's at the net. It's like, come on, you don't have to touch. There are other people on the, on the team, right? And some people are ball hogs. They want all the action. And when, if, if you want all the action, do you know what that means? Other people don't get a chance to play. Other people don't get a chance to fulfill their position. It's selfish, and it excludes other people from fulfilling their roles. That's one thing to laugh about on the volleyball court, but it shouldn't be that way in the local church, shouldn't be that way in the home, shouldn't be that way in our ministry. We should all be working together, amen, and letting other people work. Let me say this. Don't be a diatrophies. You'll say, who's that? Third John, verse 9, it says, I wrote unto the church... But Diotrephes, and here's his description of him, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Oh, loveth to have the preeminence. You know what that means? Someone who's fond of being first. I always want to be first. Team players are not all about themselves, are they? I want to be the one telling the Bible story. I want to be the one doing this. I want to, you know, I want to preach. I want to. You know what? It's a team. It's not all about you. It's not all about me. Sometimes we want to be uh, first to share our opinions. We want to be first in line. We want to be first to sign up for something so that we get what we want and so that someone else doesn't because we want it first. And we're first. Do you love to have the preeminence in conversations, in meetings, in your ministries? Diotrephes' desire to be first led him to reject the Apostle John. And so seeking to be preeminent leads us to start pushing away other people. It's not a good attribute. So don't be a ball hog. Number five, help your teammates over the goal line. You know, in football, they get down near the goal line. and If they get real close, maybe they're like two or three yards out. Oftentimes, they're going to give that ball to a running back. And he's going to run as hard as he can. But there's a wall of defenders standing there. These big 300-pound jokers, you know, just standing there. They're making a wall. They're not going to let you through. And so here comes the running back, and he runs right into this. He's trying to get through them, but sometimes he runs right into this wall of, of human flesh. And he's trying to get over the goal line, and he can't. He gets stuck, 
And then one of his offensive linemen come up behind him, another 300-pounder, and plows right into his back and pushes him through the other guys and right over the goal line. And his own 300-pound teammates landing on top of him, and he's on the end zone with a touchdown, and his own teammates, like, smothering him. He's like, ugh. That can be painful. But remember, when people give you a little push in an effort to help you over the goal line, it's not because they're thinking you're failing to do your job. They're just trying to help you. And sometimes that little push, really, what are you, I can do this. I got this. I can handle this. Well, sometimes we can't handle it. And sometimes we need that little shove. And sometimes we're also going to see teammates struggling to get their job done. You know what we can do? We can talk about it. We can say, well, that's their job. Hope they get it done. I'm going home now. <laughs> no. Well, we can say, let me lend this guy a little assistance and then go give him a big shove in the back. No, maybe not quite like that. You know what I'm saying. We have to remember that although we have different positions on the team, we all have the goal, and that's to, so to speak, get in the end zone, right? We all want to succeed. The Bible says in Galatians 6.2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Help other people out. They're carrying a heavy load. Help them out. Boy, it, it um, goes a long way when someone else will come and say, hey, I can see you're struggling. Can I give you a hand? Yes. Thank you. <laughs> and helping another carry their heavy burden uh, is not just admirable. It's the law of Christ. So I think we need to look for some people and help them over the goal line. Let me give you number six. Listen to the coach. Listen to the coach. A player who disregards the coach's instructions is soon going to find himself where? On the bench where he deserves to be. <laughs> Everybody has ideas. Everybody has opinions. But there's only one coach. In the home, it's the dad, the husband. In the church, it's the pastor. On the bus route, it's the captain. Does it mean that those people are better and more important? No. They're not better. They're not more important. That's just their position. Okay? There are times to discuss things with the coach. But there are times to keep your mouth shut and listen and do what you're told. Okay? Uh, the Bible says this in Proverbs 21, verse 23. And this is something our generation really is struggling with. Whoso keepeth his mouth and his tongue keepeth his soul from troubles. Everyone wants to run their mouth. And then when they do, I can't believe I got in trouble for that. Well, God said you would. So let's keep our mouth. Let's control what we're saying. And if you want to talk uh, when you should be listening to the coach, it's going to lead into trouble, right? The coach calls a timeout, brings you on the sidelines. He says, you go here, you go here, you go here. Coach, I think, I don't care what you think. I'm calling the plays, keep your mouth shut, and go execute the play. If you don't like it, there's the bench. Simple, isn't it? That's how it works on the team. So listen to the coach. Number seven, take your lumps. Take your lumps. Sometimes you're going to get bumps and bruises. We live, let me just say this, we live in such a soft society. We've gotten... Can I, some of you old 
school people. Have you ever got reamed out and chewed out by your coach? Did it destroy your psyche? No. There are times where we need to be rebuked. And being rebuked doesn't mean that someone doesn't like us. We raised his voice at me. I'm scarred for life. No, you're not. No, you're not. Jesus said this. Now listen, okay? If you think that because someone rebukes you that they don't like you, you got it all wrong, listen to what Jesus said in Revelation 3.19. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and do what? Repent. He says, I love you. That's why I'm rebuking you. That's why I'm chastening you. So change what you're doing. Now, it's biblical sometimes to get rebuked. And we need it. And it doesn't mean that people don't like us. It just might mean they love us and they're on our side and they want the best for us. My basketball coach... um, his name was Dave Shea. He was a good coach. Uh, his son played on the basketball team. He was one year ahead of me. His son ended up playing for UConn. So that tells you that he was a good coach, right? And Coach Shea, at times, would get on us. But we didn't sit there and wonder, I wonder if he likes us or not. Of course he liked us. He wanted to win. He was trying to get the best out of us. He, I knew this about Coach Shea. He wanted me to be a good basketball player. And he pushed us. Coaches don't typically, let me say this, they don't typically use the compliment sandwich technique to deliver criticism. You say, what's the compliment sandwich? That's when you put Criticism between two compliments. Okay? Can you imagine this? Just follow this scenario. Coach calls a timeout and he says, You have a really nice jump shot. However, you probably shouldn't have taken that turnaround three point jump shot as you're falling out of bounds with your eyes closed. But you know what? I know I can depend on you, though, because you're a really smart, sharp shooter. So you see how he did that? He gives a compliment, and he gives some criticism, and then he gives another compliment. Actually, he's not a smart, sharp shooter. He took a stupid shot. Okay? That makes him a bad shooter. And that guy walks away. You know, what he needs to know is he, he needs to hear the truth. You took a stupid shot. Sit down on the bench and think about it. Maybe that's what he'll tell him. I don't know what the coach is going to tell him. But instead, because he got the compliment sandwich, he walks away thinking he's pretty good, and the power of the criticism is lost. Now, I'm not saying you should never compliment people when you're going to have to deal with a tough situation. I'm not saying that. I'm not suggesting that that you go out of your way to be mean and negative and caustic. Remember, there is only one coach. Okay? But... We all need to learn to handle criticism like the good old days. You know the good old days that made our country great? As many as I rebuke and chasten, Jesus said, 
when we're being corrected, and I know we need to do it in the right way, but it's done to help us. Okay? And we don't have to use that compliment sandwich when we, on a regular basis, provide some positive feedback to people. They know they, that we care for them. Let me move on. Let me give you another point of this, thinking about this too. When Jesus rebuked Peter, remember? He did not say, hey, I know that you have a good heart and that you really want to serve me, but you misspoke when, when you said, I will not be put to death. I know you won't make that mistake again because you're such a good guy. Compliment sandwich, right? Is that how Jesus approached him? Absolutely not. What he really said was, get thee behind me, Satan, for thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. You know, sometimes we need to hear it like it is. By the way, in a 30-second timeout, the coach doesn't have time for a compliment sandwich. He needs to say, you're messed up, fix it so we can win the game. We're so politically correct. And we need to act like adults and remember that sometimes we do need to be corrected. Don't get offended. Don't make excuses. Learn from it. Improve. Purpose to do better. And look for an opportunity to get back out there on the court, so to speak, and in your position of of duty and responsibility and uh, be anxious to fix your mistakes. And we have to another, remember another important thing, that uh, there's only one coach, right? We can't thrive on rebuking one another, everyone rebuking one another. Did you hear that sermon time? We can rebuke. And so brothers and sisters are going home rebuking each other and yelling at each other. And I'm not talking about yelling. I'm, not, I'm just saying about correcting. And so if, if someone irritates us and we just go around rebuking everybody all the time, that's not productive either. So when you have it coming to you, the point at this point is take your lumps. Number eight, practice after hours. Practice after hours. You want to be a good team player? Practice after hours. The difference between those who excel and those who are mediocre is often the amount of effort they put in. So when a basketball player misses a bunch of three throws, throws during a game, what does he do? He shoots a bunch of free throws. Some of these elite basketball players... They have a bad game. You know what they're doing for an hour after a hard game? Some of them are out there on the court practicing, fixing their mistakes. They didn't like losing. And if others are hurt because we're not doing our job right, we ought to put some extra time in, right? If a a teacher's not prepared for their Sunday school class one day, you know what they need to do? Put some extra time in and, and make sure they're prepared the next time. Bible says in Ecclesiastes 9.10, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with thy might, for there is no work, nor device, nor knowledge, nor wisdom in the grave, whither thou goest. Number nine, give some high fives. Figuratively, okay. Uh, give some high fives. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. That's Romans 12.15. You know, it's good to celebrate your teammates' victories. But jealousy sometimes prevents us from doing that. You know, and one bus captain blows out their goal. The other one is like way under it. And he can't go up to him and say, man, that's so good that you did that because you're licking your wounds because you had such a bad day. Right? One sibling does well 
at the Empowered Youth Competition, the other sibling bombs out. And they're not happy for their sibling. Why not? Rejoice with them that do rejoice. And the ones who's rejoicing, don't forget to weep with them that weep. And go up and put your arm around them and say, hey, sorry it didn't go so well this time. Next year I think you'll get it. If I can help, let me know, or whatever it is. And so uh, this past summer, some of you know the name Anthony Rizzo. He actually played for the Cubs. He's not with the Cubs anymore. Uh, but he was in a home run slump, right? And in f- he finally got one. I mean, he finally got a home run. And he comes into the dugout. He's beaming. He's, he's all happy. He's going, walking by his emotionless teammates. He's trying to get them to give some high fives, but his teammates just ignore him. And as he's walking through the dugout, he gets near the end. And then they, they, what they were doing, they were, they were giving him the silent treatment. They were just messing with him. But by the time they get to the end of the dugout, they all jumped on him and give him high fives. And uh, they con- congratulated. Can I, can I say this? That sometimes we get in slumps. We get in slumps as, as husbands, as wives, as teachers, as Sunday school teachers, as bus workers, as deacons, as pastors. And when other people give us a little high five, in a, in a sense, when we've gotten through it, that, that, that's a real morale booster, isn't it? And it shows that you're not, uh, you're not only in it for yourself if you can give a high five here and there. All right? Are you genuinely happy when other people succeed? We should be. Self-absorption is one of the biggest dangers to a team's success. Whether that's in the home, in the church, in our ministries. It's pride that refuses to acknowledge the accomplishments of another. Let me move on to number 10, talk on the field. Talk on the field. The Bible says in Proverbs 25, 11, a word fitly spoken, right? A word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and pictures of silver, right? Like silver and gold complement each other um, and, and pleasing to the eye. So the right word at the right time is quite pleasant to the hearer. The right word at the right time. Communicate. When you're on the field, when you work in the ministries, in your church, when you're in the home, communicate. Right? Communicate. <laughs> I will, I'll leave that one alone. <laughs> um, then we had a little funny, funny thing happen uh, earlier uh, this week with the staff. Um, don't, leave, don't leave people hanging, right? Respond to people. Uh, don't make people chase you down for an answer. Uh, don't be in your own world, right? Point p- p- potential problems out to one another. Like in soccer, you know, you want your teammates, when you've got the ball and you're coming down, you want to hear these two words, man on. What's that mean? That means a defender coming after you. And it's a warning, right? We need to get some some talk on the field sometimes. Hey, watch out for this. Watch out for that. We need those, just not only the high fives, but hey, I'm open, right? You got the, the guy cutting through in the basketball lane. He's got his hand up. I'm open, you know, and uh, hit him. Hit him on the fast break or whatever it is. And we need to do the same thing. Tell people, hey, I'm available. Hey, watch out for this. Give them some pep talks. And when people blow it, rally behind them. There's nothing worse than when teammates start fussing and yelling at each other. You ever see 
I've even seen teammates getting fistfights together. They're yelling and screaming at each other. They're going to do real well. No, they're not. They're losing, and they're guaranteeing that they're not going to come out of that. All right, number 11, forget the home run and bunt the ball. Forget the home run and bunt the ball. When I played Little League, that was a long time ago, (laughs) I was the catcher. Uh, On offense, uh, I was like every other young man. I wanted to hit those long, deep balls into the outfield, and hopefully over the outfielder's head. But during batting practice, our coach taught us how to bunt. And when you bunt, in most cases, the the, the best you're going to do is get to first base, okay? Sometimes when you bunt, you're going to be thrown out, and that's the point. Sometimes you're doing that to sacrifice so that you can advance another runner and get him closer to scoring position. Bunting is not thrilling. It can hurt your batting average when you don't make it to first base. I'm bunting. I might not make it. There goes my batting average. Not that Little League, I even knew what my batting average was. Uh, probably wasn't. <laughs> uh, But I was a pretty good bunter at one point. And the coach sometimes would call on me, hey, Dave, I want you to bunt. Now, what did I want to do? I wanted to swing. But that's not what the coach and the team needed. The team needed a bunt. And being a team player means that you don't always get to do the glamorous things in life. Amen? Sometimes you have to sacrifice for the team. You sacrifice that out, and you just have to bunt. Stop going for the home run. If you have the right attitude about serving, you're not always... Let me just say this. No job will be beneath us. I have to clean the bus. I should be the one telling the story. I have to... Someone's got to. Luke 17.10. So likewise, when ye shall have done all those things that are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So we need to fulfill our role, whatever it is. Number 12, be ready to change, uh, change positions. Be ready to change positions. Flexibility is a key trait for any team player. Sometimes you have to fill in where you don't feel comfortable. Ever been there? Uh, we've had a lot of shuffling around even uh, in our ministries and staff positions to fill some gaps and many people have had to step up and take on responsibilities that they weren't used to can I say this be patient with one another be patient well it's just just, yeah it's just just, they haven't done that job before work with one another remember if someone drops the ball Late in baseball games, a team may have gone through all their relief pictures. Then what? They still need someone to pitch. Sometimes they'll ask someone who's in a different position to go do the job. They'll pull a third baseman and say, okay, you pitch. Is he going to pitch like a pitcher? Absolutely not. He's just going to do the best he can, right? That's, we got to do what we need to do in ministry, too. Years ago, <laughs> years ago I went to... Um, look at a church position as an assistant pastor years ago. 
and I spent the weekend at the church, and it was uh, in the morning service the pastor preached, I think it was the evening, I don't remember what, if I preached in the evening, but anyway, I just remember this, that in the morning uh, he preached, and he started the invitation, I'm just sitting out there, and the pastor called me up from the pulpit as he's starting the invitation, and says, Brother Olson, you come and sing the invitation song for us. I didn't have time or the opportunity to say, I can't sing. He never asked me beforehand. He didn't ask me if I could sing. I can't sing. You know what I did? I went up and I sang. And it was horrible. Maybe it scared people from coming at the invitation and making a decision. But... I did what I was asked to do, as uncomfortable as it was. And if it happens here, answer is no. (laughs) Philippians 4.11, I could just see someone say, well, I'll try it here. No, forget it. I just told you. I'm I'm not a team player anymore. Um, Paul said, I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. We just do what we're supposed to do. Remember that serving in the ministry is not always about us. It's not always about looking good. It's about filling a need and doing the best you can. And if you've done your best, that's all that counts. Number 13, remember that bench warmers are part of the team. You know, everybody on the super, who wins the Super Bowl, everybody on the team gets the ring. Everybody. Even the guys who've never, never even got on the field and played a minute, they all get a ring. Those guys in the bench are just as much a part of the team. In fact, they play a big role in the championship. How is that? They are the ones who play against the starters every week. They're the ones that make the starters as sharp as they are. They must be fairly good. They're professionals. And they play against the starters that make them good enough to be starters. When David's men went to battle, some remained behind to guard the belongings. And uh, when it came time to divide the spoil, some of the guys who went on the battle said, hey, they don't deserve any. They just stayed back here. Well, why did they stay back there? Because David had appointed them to stay back there. They didn't want the bench warmers to get any part of the spoil. But David responded, as his part is that goeth down to the battle, so shall his part be that tarrieth by the stuff. They shall part alike. They'll each get the same. Now, let me just say this. Why am I saying this? Because our roles may vary, but everyone on the team is vital. Even the practice squad, even the bench warmers, even the ones who are up and coming and learning. If you're a starter, so to speak, if you're a star of the show or your team, whatever, remember that everyone else is just as important. And if you can keep that humble attitude, you'll go a long way as a leader. Number 14, rely on your teammates. You can't do everything. You can't. You need teammates. It's not a one-man show. 1 Corinthians 12, 20 and 21. But now are they many members, yet one body, and the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Believe it or not, there's someone on your team that can do something better than you can. They can. 
And we need to realize and, and, you, and rely on the strengths of others. And beware of developing this, I have no need of you attitude. Paul warned about that. We need to respect our peers. Listen to this verse in 1 Peter 2.17. He said, honor all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. I found it very interesting. He said in the beginning of that verse, honor all men. Then he said, honor the king. The same honor and respect is due to the peer as is the leader. Sometimes we'll say, well, I respect the leader, but my peers, I don't. That's not the way we should be. We need to rely on everybody else's, everyone else on the team, and value their opinions and their talents and their efforts and listen to their concerns. And, be, and we need to be willing to ask for help. And uh, when they give it, <laughs> we should be thankful rather than criticize it. Anyway, let me just keep moving here. Number 15, it's just to stay united. The best teams typically work together because their teammates like to be around each other. Do you like to be with the brethren? Do you like to be at home? Or do you like to be away from the family? There's a problem if you like to be away from the family. Do you like to be with each other in the ministries? You can't be a united team if everyone isolates themselves from one another. Psalm 133, verse 1. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. The devil's a great divider. And if he's been working at dividing your home, your ministry, one worker against another, one member in the church against another, one family against another family, one individual against the pastor or against the principal, that's easy to be against the principal, right? <laughs> to be against one another. No, oh, we better be careful of that. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you speak all, all speak the same thing, that you, there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, in the same judgment. That's 1 Corinthians 1.10. And you can just write this verse, uh, reference down. You can go back and look up in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. There's some key words there. Like-minded, love, one accord, one mind, no strife, lowliness, esteem, other better. No reputation, servant, humble, obedient, all that. It's not easy, but if we do that, it, it'll help. It takes an active participation and self-denial to be a good team, team player. But if you're isolating and you're not part, you don't enjoy the fellowship. We can't have the same mind if we don't listen to one another, if we don't cooperate with one another, if we don't have fellowship with one another. Fellowship's good. It's important. That's why I don't feel like it. You need it. And others need your presence. Well, no, they don't need me. Yeah, because we're all part of a team. It's not easy, but we need to work. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes.